the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Firing Line with Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Vortex Optics, Cutting Edge Bullets, and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And now, your host, Rick Travis. Good afternoon, patriots of the Inland Empire and beyond. I'm your host, Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And today with me, I have a, a great friend and a good friend of all of you that go out into the wilderness and the great outdoors. I have with us today Assistant Chief David Best from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, former chief of the entire department. And today we're going to be covering everything that you ever want to know, were curious about, or um, maybe didn't know and need to know about what it means to be a game warden, how we work with game wardens in the field and all the great things that the department does to work with you as hunters, fishermen, or just people that want to go out and experience the great, beautiful California outdoors. And so I want to welcome you, Chief Best, for being here today with us. Well, thanks so much, Rick. I really appreciate the opportunity. So, folks, one of the reasons I have been trying to get Chief Best on this is because I think there's a a lot of misnomers. I mean, we've seen the attacks on law enforcement agencies over the past few years. And I think a lot of times we don't understand, you know, having been part of the uh, four generations of law enforcement, myself included, for a period of time in um, my family, I realized that, you know, there's a big difference between being in a game warden and being even in a small town law enforcement community. And we're going to start this off with looking at Los Angeles Police Department covers roughly 13 million people. The state of California has roughly 40 million people. Um, LA is relatively, I would say, a smaller area than the state of California. <laughs> and so, um, you know, how many wardens do we have for the state of California? Well, Rick, total um, people that work in the law enforcement division for the department is approximately 500, and that goes all the way down from the rank of the chief of law enforcement um, to warden in the field. Approximately... 390 to 400 of those officers work actually out in the field um, doing um, a variety of assignments, but work in what we would classically deem as patrol. And if you want to break that down, I don't want to get into sensitive areas, but folks, he's also talking about some of those people do investigations, like undercover stuff. Some of those people are specific tasks like um, interdiction operations, because I know you have a unit for that. I know you have units that just focus on marine issues, oil issues? Yeah, the division, the way we do enforcement, um, it's broken up. Uh, 
into uh, a north, central, and southern enforcement district relative to the territory or the geography of of California, the terrestrial portion. And then we have a marine um, enforcement division with large patrol boats that work offshore, um, both in recreational and commercial fisheries. And then we have quite a few um, specialty assignments or specialty units throughout the department um, in the, de- the almost decade that I was the chief of law enforcement, you know, we created a marijuana enforcement program, cannabis enforcement program um, that works solely um, on the illegal cannabis problem that we that we struggle with in California, but also works on the regulatory component with the lawful law abiding cannabis farmers that are out there. Um, we've got. Uh, as you said, we've got a covert unit that work on wildlife trafficking. So we've got quite a few officers that work on the commercialization of wildlife, not just California's species, but other species that are brought in from um, other countries. As California is kind of an import and export and a consumer state of illegal wildlife, unfortunately. So put a lot of effort to that. Um, and then spill, oil spill prevention, too. We, um, we're the lead agency. If you have an oil spill that goes where it goes into a waterway, state waterway, we're the lead investigatory agency for that. Um, so a whole bunch of different varieties of things that you, that we assign officers to in this department. Um, hunter education, of course, we've got, uh, canine officers that have officers that have canine partners, canine officer partners for detection of um, wild game. Um, firearms were trained in um, some drugs as well. And then also with some of those off, uh, canine officers uh, have dogs that are trained for personal protection just when they're out of patrol as well. And then, you know, going back to the training, you know, because we're going to unpack some of this, but looking at it too, you know, when I went through the academy, my son went through the academy, my dad, my grandfather, you go through the academy and academies, you know, take a period of time, depending on where you go, how long that is. But it's, isn't it true? You guys have like an extra month beyond what everybody else goes through. Our academies are long. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed like a long time when I went through a couple decades ago. Yeah. It's, um, we're almost eight months long for the Straight Fishing Game Academy, and then we hold them up for another month, six weeks, doing additional training because we just can't get it all and crammed into that uh, post-certified academy that we have. Um, so by the time we get somebody and put them in the first day of the academy and start the training, run them through the post-academy, uh, do the subsequent fish and game training that we also give after the fact, um, and then put them on field training program, which is another 90 to 120 days. It takes a full year from the day you hit the academy to hit the ground running to be out at wherever your assigned post is somewhere in the state. And I think that's important for people to realize because it is an arduous process. Not everyone makes it through, um, which says a lot. But I also think this sets up a quality of law enforcement personnel that is far and above many other departments. I want to go back and correct myself. LAPD actually only looks over, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, to the men and women that work in there, but they cover 468 square miles and about 4 million residents. And their bureaus far 
outsized with the over 9,600 officers, sworn personnel, compared to what you guys are doing. And so if somebody gets in trouble at LAPD and calls for help, um, a lot of people are coming. And I think a lot of people don't realize there are a lot of times when a warden's out there, they are out there, and response time for other people to get to them can take a while. Yeah, you're definitely on your own um, if you're a game warden working in especially some of the rural parts. You know, we've had – I've had situations myself where, you know, I was out and, you know, have three people arrested by myself at 2.30 in the morning, and they're not being extremely cooperative. and they're, <laughs> They're, um, you know, your radio for backup, but you're trying to um, maybe get another local agency, um, highway patrol, somebody else that's out working at 2.30 in the morning that can come help you. Uh, it's definitely not um, like working in a, you know, probably a large metropolitan area where backup would be um, relatively quick to come to you or a lot of agencies uh, double up. They'll have two officers in a vehicle, especially at night. Um Officers do work together in our law enforcement division, but it is more common than not, especially in the rural areas, you're going to be out by yourself um, the vast majority of the time. So you have to be able to, you got to be able to talk to people. I mean, I was trained very early on. Um, we'll give you all this equipment to to wear to defend yourself and protect yourself, but your greatest asset is is your ability to talk to people and be able to control the situation. So having a little bit of the gift of gab, being a game warden, as well as any police officer probably has this skill set too, but it's extremely important when you're out and you got, you know, five, six folks by yourself and you've got something going on in, you know, the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, you walk into a hunting camp and you got six, seven, eight folks in there and, you know, you have to be able to, uh, deal with those folks in a manner that doesn't raise the temperature of the contact because um, I'd say probably 99% of the time when we're out contacting people, for the most part, you know, sportsmen and sportswomen in California are following the laws and regulations, and there's no violation. We do our regulatory checks, and, you know, we move on. I think it's really important, and we'll talk about it as we end the next segment, but no other agency – on a day-to-day basis, confronts more people with firearms. And I know we talk about that a lot on this this show, that by and large, the law-abiding public um, is not the people that we need to worry about in the legislature and others because they are compliant. But I also think it's very interesting to watch the differences on how, um, you know, the federal government, because one of my members of the family worked for them. I worked in law enforcement in the military. You know, my son's a, a police officer, so I kind of had the circular view. And everybody has a different way of handling people with firearms. And I really want to look at, like, wardens. I want people out there that are listening to this to realize, hey, when you're going up to talk to a warden and you're armed, the best way to do it, um, making sure that we're working with them because they're not there as your enemy. They're there your friends. Some of my closest friends throughout the state are game wardens being completely transparent and not saying everybody that works for a department is perfect because that's not the case with any department. But I would tell you as the public, by and large, these are some of the finest men and women I think you will find on the planet that are there to actually help you, to actually work, to actually make things uh, very, very easy. Throughout this show, we're going to be talking about how maybe one of you out there hears this and says, I want to be a game warden. We're going to talk about 
your age, everything to do that, and things that you can do to work in the, pu- in the public programs that the department has. We'll be back here on Fine Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590. The answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Hey, fellow patriots, welcome back to Farming Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. With me today is David Best, the Assistant Chief for our Department of Fish and Wildlife here in California. And we're talking about wardens and programs and everything. And as we were finishing up, we were really talking about uh, how do we go to the academy? What does the academy look like? And one of the things I think is really unique is your academy story and to the extent you're willing to talk about it. But um, you didn't go in at like 21. No. <laughs> um, no, I went in, um, fairly late in life. It was a career change for me. I had grown up, um, in Northern California as a, as a farm kid, hunting and fishing, growing up with my mother and father and had always uh, wanted to be a game warden from the time I was uh, a little kid. And, uh, through college and everything that I went through, just wasn't able to make it happen early in life, but, um, I retired from a career in private industry in my early forties and was looking for something to do and ran into, uh, a very dear friend of mine, um, Roy Griffith at that time who talked to me about it. I, to be honest, thought I was too old. I didn't think I could go to work, um, for the department as a police officer. Uh, he corrected me. I think I went home that day and applied. And um, wound up eventually going through all the hiring process and going into the academy a couple decades ago as a uh, fresh-faced 45-year-old recruit. <laughs> so um, 
I absolutely loved my academy experience. It was great. Um, great for me. I just soaked up every, every piece of it. Um, and you know, back then the academy I went through was a mixed blend academy for the natural resources agency. So I went through with future game wardens, future state park rangers and Cal fire law enforcement officers. So it was a blend of, of those three departments in the academy that I attended. Um, and I just had a fantastic time in it. I loved everything. I love the PT. I've always been a, you know, uh, a person who works out and watches my health. And so I loved the, uh, the, the physical, um, demands that it put on you from all the PT. I liked being the old guy in the academy that could also probably, you know, still hang with the young guys on the PT for most, for most of it. Um, I think I wound up, me and a couple of the guys wound up winning the physical fitness award for the academy I was, that I graduated from. Um, but yeah, it was a completely different experience. Um, I think for me too, because, you know, you take folks going into the academy at an earlier age. Um, they don't sometimes have as much life experience as I had, um, through all of the different things that I'd done previous to going to work for fishing game at that time. Um, and I believe that was a benefit, definitely a benefit to me. And it was a benefit to me to be able to, once I graduated and got out of the academy to go do the job too, because I'd had so much experience dealing with, dealing with the public in private industry at a fairly high level. And I was just, you know, very comfortable around people and was very comfortable in, you know, representing the department and wearing that uniform and being a police officer and engaging with constituents. And I grew up hunting and fishing. So I was, it was a very comfortable, natural environment for me. So what is the top age that you can enter the academy? Well, there's no, there's no top age. The requirement for a state police officer for our agency, you have to, there's mandatory retirement at 65. Um, so that's really it. Um, we've had people go through the academy in their mid fifties. Um, historically. So I'm not definitely, I'm definitely not the oldest person to ever go and graduate. We've had other people, um, come into the academy that were retired police officers from another agency where they completely retired somewhere else and came to work for us. Um, so, or people that just come in like I did and, you know, they do a career change later in life, something they always wanted to do and they wind up getting in and, and, uh, going out performing well in the academy and going on and being, you know, really successful officers in the department. Very good. We also talk about, you know, you guys on the field and gals are confronting people with firearms. And any of us that have worked in the space from on a civilian side, not every encounter with law enforcement goes as smoothly as it could. I mean, how is it that, you know, every warden I've ever met in the field has been fairly good. There's been a couple that, you know, you never know what someone's day has been like prior to the, you bumping into them. And I always take that in consideration as probably my background. But by and large, I would say they're very, very amenable. Like, is that something that's taught in the academy of, like, how to address people with firearms? It is. It's something we've always taught. We still continue to. Um, and not just people with firearms, um, just constituents in general, um, whatever they're out doing. Um, 
but absolutely, you know, we, we, you, you've got a, you've got all kinds of equipment on your duty belt, right? That, that are tools that you can use, um, in a situation that to be perfectly candid, you hope you never encounter. And your greatest asset is always being able to talk to people. Um, I still tell new recruits that come in, the greatest asset we're ever going to give you is your mouth and your brain and your, your ability to talk to people. And, you know, you really, if you walk into a hunting camp where you've got a few people in there and they've been out and they've been hunting, um, you know, you, you have to be comfortable with going in and talking to people where there's firearms all over the place and maybe there's six or seven guys or gals in a hunting camp. Or you encounter a guy who's out hunting and he's got a rifle with him and maybe he's got a pistol on his hip. And, you know, it, as a game warden, you're going to encounter that all day long. That's just the norm. And I know that's not the norm for a lot of law enforcement officers in the state. I mean, I think if you encountered a person with a gun on their hip, you know, probably in a metropolitan city, it'd have a different uh, turn of events um, for that officer than it does for us. But we have to be comfortable with people having firearms. We train people how to direct people with firearms. You know, it's very common for me if I would contact someone and they had a firearm, you know, they're out fishing and maybe they're wearing a handgun. I'd say, hey, I see you have a handgun there. That's fine. Just, you know, while I'm talking to you here, just don't touch it, please. And let's just, you know, have our conversation, take care of our business and and move on. But I think absolutely being able to talk to people, treat people in a in a respectful way um i know it's an old cliche now but it's you know treat people how you would you would want to be treated um and you know 99% of people that we contact out in the field uh, lawful sportsmen and sportswomen who have firearms or are out doing whatever they're doing they they mean us no harm if anything they're uh, they are one of our greatest assets right um to to officer safety. So most people are out there following the laws. There's not any, you know, we'll, we'll contact someone, have a conversation with them, maybe do a license check, a tag check, validate a deer for them, whatever the case might be. Um, and there's no problem with that whatsoever. Vast majority of wardens hunt and fish. I mean, they got into this line of work because that was their personal interest. I know that's what drove me to it. and. You know, we love to see people out in the field being successful and when they're out recreating. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is, yeah, there's been occurrences in, you know, in the history of the department, unfortunately, where, you know, officers have been killed in the line of duty. There's probably not many agencies that can say that they've escaped that. And those are extremely rare, unfortunate occurrences. Most of the people that we that we run into out there are law-abiding citizens who lawfully possess their firearms, and they're no threat to us. So would it be fair to say people, when you're out there with your firearms and you see a warden, just treat it like you would a fellow sportsman, just be nice, polite, and things are going to go fairly smoothly? Absolutely. Um, you know, I would – I was just out working dove season, so you contact a lot of people during dove season out hunting with shotguns. And, you know, it was one of the most, you know, having been the chief for almost 10 years, it, you know, it was always a treat to get out in the field when you could get out of the office and actually go work. Um, and 
get back to what brought you to the to the profession in the beginning. It really reminded me being out working this this recent dove season. You know, I just had I didn't have a single bad contact with people and I contacted hundreds of people. You know, people being very respectful, people, you know, they'd see you coming, they would unload their firearm knowing, hey, I'm going to unload my gun. I see a warden coming, right? And just have it in a in a safe position when we contact them. So um, yeah, I just say, hey, just be thoughtful, you know, use your firearm safety. And, you know, wardens are wardens are out there to protect the resource from people who are violating the law. And like I said, the high percentage of people out there are, are, are not in that capacity of violating the law. And, you know, wardens, your friend. We're going to come back to you and we're going to talk about ways you can interface with the department, some of the wonderful programs. And we're going to look at how to be work together for California's natural resources. Be back on Fine Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Spartans, lay down your weapons. Persians, come and get them. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. Today with me is Assistant Chief David Bess from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. We're talking about all things fish and wildlife and game wardens. And we are going to get into an area called some of the different support programs, and I'm going to kick it off to different ways that you as an individual can volunteer or work with the department. Um, There's some amazing opportunities. Um, I personally am involved with a a couple of them, and they're great. But I'm going to start off with there's a program that, um, David, I saw called the Warden Stamps. I've been doing this for a little over a decade now. And, folks, I want you to listen very carefully. The first 10 people that reach out to the show um, on this Saturday, you know, tell us that, hey, you saw it by hitting us up on our Facebook or, or wherever. We're going to look at those. And the first 10 people, we will make contact with you, say congratulations, and we will be purchasing a Game Warden Stamp because we believe in this program and send that to you for you to be able to use, whether you put it on your car, your tackle box, your hunting gear, wherever, the side of your Yeti or other type of cooler, um, because this is an important program. So unpacking the warden stamp, number one, I think the artwork you guys put on it every year, highlighting the different animal or different program is incredible. I think they become collector's items. I always thought you guys messed up because you should be doing warden patches that replicate those because people would sew those on the back of their outfits. But um Maybe you guys will come up with that one day. But what is the purpose of a warden stamp? So the warden stamp program was developed quite a few years ago um, in an effort to try to um, 
raise money for um, the law enforcement division. We, back when the stamp was developed, you know, we were going through some pretty lean, lean budgetary times back then. And uh, the chief at that time was looking for a way to be able to promote the good work that wardens do. Gives the public something also that showed that they that they supported law enforcement and supported the wardens in in the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And then, you know, also hopefully generate some revenue to be able to support some of the programs that we were starting up at that time, such as canine, which was essentially an unfunded program. It's something that we decided to do, that we needed to do uh, as a benefit to the officers for protection as well as protect the resource. But we really didn't have any money to do it. We just had to pull the money kind of out of thin air and scrape, you know, the pennies together and readjust the budget. So those stamps, those stamps are sold. You're right. They have turned out to be collector's items. Um, many people have them all the way through the whole time we've been, we've been selling them. And, uh, you know, we get a, we get a, a, a pot of money from the sale of those stamps every year that we're able to put to supportive programs, whether that might be purchasing equipment for officers that are necessary for them to do their work. So, like I said, support of the canine program. It's used in a variety of ways. And during my tenure as the chief, he was definitely one of the highlights that I was the guy who got to make the selection of what went on the warden stamp for all those years. Um, and you know, it was fun. It's process sitting there figuring out what color do we want it to be? What animal are we going to represent? What do we want to put on there? What really interesting to look at it and say, well, we picked this animal last year. How did that warden stamp sell versus this, you know, putting this animal on it? So, um, one of the fun things, um, in that position as chief was being able to, uh, figure out that warden stamp every year and put it out there for folks because it is, um, you know, it is of value to the officers and, you know, officers see them around and they appreciate the support that the public gives them by purchasing them and then displaying them. You'll see them all the time on people's vehicles. What was the best selling stamp? If you remember. Oh, geez. I'd have to go back and do the research, but, um, it might have been, I can't remember. It was a few years ago. It might have been a fish that we put on. <laughs> that makes sense. I always like it. It's got a, it had a broad based appeal, I think. Yeah. yeah. So there's other programs, obviously one of the ones I'm involved with and I want to do a pitch for, um, if nothing else, to make my lieutenant happy. Um, there's going it back and being a hunter ed instructor and giving back, getting to that final level of, of being a sports person. Um, I believe you guys have, what, about 850, 900 instructors statewide? Yeah, yeah, approximately, yeah. Yeah, and I think that is a great way, folks, you can go to the website for the department and – you know, submit the application and become a instructor so you can help get the next generation. When I say the next generation too, I'm not just talking about kids, folks. Uh, as a hunter instructor, I've instructed people. My oldest person so far has been 80 years old that I helped get through it. And it was their first time going out hunting. And I thought that was a beautiful thing because with them in that class was two other generations. And I thought, wow, what a, a beautiful community thing to do. So that's a great program. What are some of the other ways that people can volunteer to work with the department and support the department? Yeah, well, definitely the Hunter Education Program is one. It's our largest volunteer program in the department. 
the hunter education programs run by the law enforcement division, as you know. Um, you know, we have a captains and various lieutenants that uh, administer that program throughout the state. Every game warden in the state that's employed has, is a hunter education instructor, and many of them do classes or assist with classes throughout the year. Um, I know I did back uh, years ago. I used to go in and help teach hunter ed classes. It's always a fun thing because I just loved getting people into the sport. So you can definitely engage um, in that program. Um, additionally, you know, we have the Natural Resource Volunteer Program inside the department where people um, go through a program um, learning uh, department policy, department functions, and they volunteer in a variety, just a variety of ways, um, helping us with just the daily business of getting things done in the department, not just in the law enforcement division, but in the department. Um, and then, you know, they'll come out and help us on, you know, really cool projects, right? Where if we're going out and replanting fish or something in a, in a stream where they haven't been for maybe a hundred years on the Eastern Sierras, um, volunteers will come out and help us out with that. And as we also start to go into, you know, it's this time of year where we're starting to head into all the sports shows, the sportsman shows here in the next couple months. Um, they're just a tremendous resource there as well with helping us do everything that we need to do with pulling those, pulling those shows off and representing the department. Yeah, so folks, there's lots of ways to get involved, and I will tell you, it is so rewarding because you learn so many things. I mean, Hunter Ed, we're always learning new stuff doing advanced Hunter Ed things and helping the department develop those, but I also know in some of the resource volunteer positions, you're getting to interact with biologists and other people and learn more about what goes into the conservation of California's natural resources. But there's another thing that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up, and that's CalTIP, which is California's Turning Poachers and Polluters and TIP 411. I really wanted to kind of unpack how the general public doesn't even have to go through training to become an educator or volunteer. This is a program that I, has been very near and dear to both of us. We've worked closely on it, um, and I hope to continue to do that with you in the future. And so looking at that, you know, how helpful is it when somebody calls in on CalTIP or TIP 411 because they've seen what they believe is a reporting party, a violation of the law? Um, it's hard to, it's really hard to overstate the importance of it. You know, CalTIP is kind of 911 for, for game wardens, right? So, um, people call in, give us those tips. They're fed off to, you know, the warden in the area. And, um, you know, we go out and do an investigation. So, so, so many of those tips turn into us doing an investigation and either citing or arresting someone who's done in many times some pretty egregious poaching acts. And we wouldn't have made that case. Or caught that person absent that caltech. There's, you know, a lot of newer technology over the last four years with being able to text, you know, to, to text and uh, in a tip. Um, those are invaluable. I can remember when I was still in the field, I got one. Um, and at that time, I happened to be working. I was spent a lot of my field career as an undercover game warden, and um, I got a tip. <laughs> A cal tip on in a text, and it happened to be a guy that was I was fishing undercover, and it happened to be a guy that was just fishing just down the 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 canal from me, 
um, out during sturgeon season. And nobody knew that I was a game warden because I sure didn't look like one at that time. And, you know, I got the tip and I was able to then, you know, call a, call a warden and uniform warden come out and make a contact and took enforcement action against the person. It, it really, I mean, it's really hard to understate the value of it. And I would also say, you know, a lot of times there's a public perception out there that, hey, I, I call Caltip, nobody comes, you know, nothing happens with it. That's just not the reality of it. A lot of times, um, you know, we'll get Caltips and for a variety of reasons, we might not go make contact in that exact moment. You could be calling in someone that we're already aware of that we're investigating, and that piece of information is a component of the investigation. Um, and look, we're not going to get to them all. This is the reality of it. Having been the chief, you know, with like I said, with you know, 400 officers in the field, there's not an officer out everywhere every minute of the day. But we right can take those. On and Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. With me today is Assistant Chief David Best from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. In this last previous segment, we were talking about um, CalTIP and what that is, and I want to continue because... Uh, I think there's some really good stuff. You know, Chief Bass, I, several times um, being on the Caltip committee, I have been amazed by things you just don't think about. And I think it's okay to, to talk about this because they're behind us now. But, you know, I have thought going into Caltip that this was like, oh, the person was illegal fishing, like you were talking about with the case of Spurgeon, or this person, you know, shot a deer out of season or a duck, you know, improperly. Things like that. But in my time on there, you know, um, I always say it wrong, but there was a succulent on the North Coast that people were taking and had no idea. Like, I probably drove by those succulents, I don't know how many times, and never realized, oh, that's a precious resource. To me, it was, you know, 
like any other thing. I saw my grandparents' yard because they had succulents everywhere. I, I just didn't know. Um, there's been tree groves that people went after. You know, there's been uh, massive cases like the one, I don't want to go too far into it, but like in San Diego that was like just mind-boggling how many people ended up being involved in that. And I really don't think people realize how much behind the scenes goes in to preserve and conserve wildlife and the flora and fauna of this state that has some incredible things. Yeah, you know, the Caltip program is any, you know, poachers and polluters. And, you know, I think what you're referencing was probably the, the Dudley of plant cases that we yeah. made up on the North Coast a few years ago, where we uncovered a worldwide plant, illegal plant trafficking ring that we um, ultimately took down with the help of some other agencies and some other officers from other countries and actually wound up getting being involved in extraditing the main person back from a foreign country. And they're, they're serving jail time now in California as a result of that case. But folks can call in, you know, natural resource crimes to this. We investigate them. If there's a particular one that's maybe not dead center in our wheelhouse or our jurisdiction, that's fine. We can hand that off. Done that before where maybe something I'm forgetting if somebody's doing like timber theft or something, potentially that might be more relative to give to the forest service or something. But those caltips that we get, um, you know, we, they come in, they get broadcast over the radio to the wardens that are out right at that time. Um, and they go and respond to them immediately. I've been out working a lot in the field um, the last couple, three months and have responded to a couple cal tips myself. And, you know, those come over the radio, you hear it, you get the information, and we respond and go check it out. And I just can't thank the public enough for continuing to use that because, you know, with 400 wardens in the field across the whole state of California, and trying to protect the precious resources of the state. Folks out in the public are our eyes and ears for telling us what's going on. We can't be everywhere all the time, and we really rely on the the law-abiding citizens to be able to provide us information to to get out and protect the resource. So I want to I move to this. Folks, this is an incredible radio interview, probably one of the best that I've been privileged to do over the years here on Fine Line Radio, and the reason is is because rarely by the time there is a change in leadership in the department, um, you don't have a chance really to go talk to it because it's like any other retirement. The person's retiring, they're leaving, and you're like, uh, well, it's great to know you. Bye. <laughs> and this is a point that, you know, I'm always curious. You've had an, a very interesting career in law enforcement. There are some people in law enforcement that they sit and patrol their entire career. There's other people that end up just being investigated. You've done it, pretty much all of it. And I've always been impressed by that. What is something that you, as you are leaving in the, in the past couple of months, you've been back out in the field, which I think is also a unique experience just to be able to go back to where you started and see it. What would you say are some of the messaging that you would want the general public to know of, like, where you see the department, where you see it going in terms of law enforcement? I know there's things you can't talk about, but um, I think this is your point to say, hey, folks, this is something means a lot to me and to share that. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, yeah, I'm retiring here uh, at the end of the month. Um, 
served as the chief for almost nine years over the division and worked for the department um, for 18 years. And I've held every um, rank of law enforcement in the division during the course of my career. So I've seen it from a lot of different, a lot of different seats. Um, I still believe, um, and this is just true. Believe it in my heart. You know, the hardworking men and women that work as game wardens out in the state of California, that's the lifeblood of this division and this department. Wardens are the face of the department, although there is, you know, 3,000 folks employed in the Department of Fish and Wildlife doing all kinds of important, necessary work. Wardens are the folks that people interact with out in the public um, for the most part. And the work that they're doing is what's protecting the resource for generations to come. I would say, you know, hey, if you contact if you're contacted by a warden out in the field, um, you know, realize that they're there helping you and supporting you and trying to protect what it is you're out there, um, you know, enjoying whether it's hunting, fishing, maybe you're just bird watching, going on a hike, whatever it is. Our job is to protect the natural resources of the state, and that's what we're um, attempting attempting to do out there. So. Just really appreciate the cooperation of the public. And I think one of the things that all of you listening to this, you know, we've talked about being a game warden, what game wardens do, but literally, um, you know, one of my sons had wanted to go do it and just because he got married and then a kid came and so maybe he'll do it later on like you did it. Cause I know it's still something that he wants to check off on his list of things he's done, but. Folks, this is literally like a job, and I'm not trying to make you guys sound like you're cool Navy SEALs, but, I mean, if you are into scuba diving, there's a place for you in the department. If you are into hunting, there's a place for you in the department. If you have a scientific mind, there is nowhere in this department that depend on your personality that there's not opportunities. And that that's not true of every law enforcement agency or any other agency in this state. I also want to... to talk about a little bit about what it's been like for me to work with the department. Obviously, um, being a lobbyist, some people see me as highly adversarial <laughs> and are like, oh, no, here comes the lobbyist. Um, and I kind of laugh because I'm there just to represent the voice of the people, which I do for all of you through the California Rifle Pistol Association. But people, I want you to realize something. By all the agencies that I interface with, this has been the most honest of those agencies. And yeah, there are frustrating times on both sides because there's things that honestly people in different positions can't talk to me about. I get that. And there are sometimes things I can't say, but I will tell you the integrity of this department up to this point in my career has always been forthright, fair, and honest. And I know there's a lot of stuff that gets printed out on blogs because people are disgruntled, upset. Maybe they didn't have a great experience. I will tell you, um, not every day in my previous career being a paramedic was a great day. I had days that start off really, really negative, and the whole day went that way. It happens to anybody in public service. And so by the end of the day, I might not have had the best bedside manners. It didn't make me a bad medic. It didn't mean I hated that family. It was just like it was one of those days. And, folks, all of you, I don't care what your career field is, you have that. Take that in consideration when you're working with anybody in public service out there. They're not happy-go-lucky where you think they should be, realize they may just be having one of those days that you yourself have had. But this department goes out of its way, and 
Um, in my role in Caltips and stuff, I've got to go meet with chiefs and their staff um, with International Crime Stoppers, Wildlife Crime Stoppers, which is working with other agencies within the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. By far, the men and women of the wardens program have done more to try to make it easy to work with them. And so, folks, number one, quash, quash some of the negativity that I hear out there. Support these men and women because they are trying to make sure that this program goes another 150 to 500 years, however long humans roam the planet. They're out there to take it and keep it going. Do you have any last words that you want to say, Chief? Yeah, I just say thanks for all that, Rick. And you're right on, right on target with that. And, you know, thanks to CRPA, really, you know, as a partner, they've, they've been a value partner to me during the tenure that I've had as leading the law enforcement division. And, you know, it's, it's important work, right? I'm a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment. And um, the work's extremely important that that it keep moving forward relative to protecting, you know, the rights, Second Amendment rights and gun rights of legal firearm owners. Right. Um, We all know. Us cops, it's not the legal firearm owners that we have problems with. Right. So really appreciate the work that CRPA has done and continues to do in that effort. Thank you very much. Folks, if you haven't joined, join the California Rifle Pistol Association. Go to www.crpa.org. If you have questions, reach out to us at contact at crpa.org. And as I say every week, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. We'll see you next week. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.